31 and 32, there we are. 21 years can seem like a long time. It, it is a long time. In fact, if you can think back 21 years ago, that was 2002. 2002, the cost of milk was $2.76. Kelly Clarkson had just won the first American Idol contest. The popular movies at the time were Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets and The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Those seem vastly dated now, don't they? And I saved the best for last. The uh, cost of gasoline was $1.61. Seems like a long time ago now, doesn't it? 21 years. And today, after 21 years of service, back-breaking labor, Laban finally gets to go home. I'm sorry, whoa, Jacob finally gets to go home. I blew that up, I'm sorry. After 21 years of service, Jacob finally gets to go home. Finally gets to go home. And he's a totally different person than when he left. He has become a brand new man. He dedicated himself to the Lord, gave himself up to him. He's become a husband and a father multiple times over. And he met his match in a man named Laban and realized it's not fun being tricked. And he knows he's going to have troubles when he gets home. We should all know that there's going to be troubles there. Even Jesus, when he returned home, struggled, didn't perform, wasn't able to perform many miracles because the people lacked faith. And he turns to his disciples, and Jesus says in Mark 6, 4, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Because when you have to go back to where you were before, troubles start to rise again. The problem we're going to see with Jacob today is actually going to be the same problem that we all face every day. The battle of the new flesh versus the battle of the old flesh. As he's confronted with who he was versus who he is now. And what we're going to look for today, our principle to look for today, how do we know if the new flesh is winning? How do we know if the new flesh is winning. We all have to struggle. We all have to fight this fight. And the battle is not over when we become Christians. In fact, that's when the battle begins. That's when the battle begins. We can finally put on the new flesh. So let's start with the end of Jacob and Laban's relationship. Chapter 31, verses 1 through 21. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has acquired all his wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers, and to your family, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel, and lay into the field to his flock, and said to them, I see your father's countenance, that it's not favorable toward me as before. But the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might I have served your father, yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift your eyes now and see. 
All the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar, and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours, are really our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. Then Jacob rose and set his sons and wives on camels, and he carried away all his livestock, all his possessions which he had gained, his acquired livestock which he had gained in Padmaram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. So for starters, we should see that Laban's sons have a point. They do have a point. Jacob entered this land with nothing. He was using a rock for a pillow. He crossed this river and all he had was his walking stick. He had nothing. And now he's got four wives, 12 sons, and flocks, and money, and all this. He's acquired a vast amount of wealth. And the problem is, they look at it wrong. They look at it as Jacob has stolen all this. But what we see is that this was God's gracious will. This is what God has done for Jacob. In fact, he says that in verse 8. In verse 8, whatever Laban said would be my wages, that's what God made happen. God provided this. Whatever Jacob needed, God provided. And so they're mistaken. What we should realize is that when a follower of God, when someone like Jacob, when someone like us, works hard and dedicates his work to the Lord, the Lord tends to bless that labor. He tends to bless it. This is not a promise of riches and comfort. This is not that promise but it is a proverb. Proverbs 6.6. 6. Look to the 6.6. 6. Look to the ant, you sluggard. We're not called to laziness. We're not called to sitting back and doing nothing. We are called to work. And when we work hard, good things tend to happen. Good things tend to happen. The world, in this case Laban's sons, failed to recognize this. They failed to recognize the value of hard work. Jacob was the good shepherd. He went and did the work that was required of him. They fail to recognize this, and they reject God's blessings. It couldn't have been God's blessings. It's because he was stealing from us. In fact, what we should see here is our first answer to the question. Can we know the flesh is winning? We can know the new flesh is winning when the world no longer appreciates our work when what we are doing falls on deaf ears, when they don't care anymore. See, we're already called to be separate. We're already meant to be different. And our work is another way we stay separate, by doing the work of the Lord, by giving our work to the Lord, by working hard even when everyone else quits. Jacob continued to work hard. He was the good shepherd. And Laban's sons failed to see that. They failed to see this as God's blessing. We can also see God's desire for Jacob to leave. If we go back to verse 3, 
Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. God's word is the most important aspect of any decision-making. Of any decision-making, we go back to God's word. In every crisis is opportunity to go to God's word. To go to God's word. God also takes the circumstances of Jacob and he turns them against Jacob to get him moving, to get him going. All of a sudden, Laban's continents had fallen. Laban is no longer friendly with Jacob. Laban is mistreating him worse than he was before. Jacob and his family are no longer comfortable around Laban. Even in Rachel and Leah seem to know something is wrong. Look at verse 14. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Even they know that Laban's conscience towards Jacob has changed. Jacob is no longer welcome here. God stirred up these difficult situations to get Jacob moving again, to get him out of there. He needs to go back to the land of his family, the promised land. This doesn't mean that every situation is an opportunity to run. Every time God gives us different difficult circumstances, that does not mean God is telling us to run. It means he's telling us to go back to God's word, go to prayer, and to find his will for our lives. It does mean that when it is time to leave, when it is time to extricate yourself from a situation, God's will, God's hand will be on the situation. God will be in control. He will be taking care of it. And typically, when it's that time, we feel like we no longer have a choice. Because we don't. God has made that choice for us. And we see here the second answer to the question. The new flesh is winning when we allow God to lead our decision-making, not our own flawed perceptions. Not our own flawed perceptions. First, we turn to God's word. Then we look to the ones we love and who are dependent upon us. Then we can look at the situation and determine from there. And when all those three start to align, we can find what God is telling us. We don't need to be reactionary to whatever situation arises. Just because something turns against us in life doesn't mean it's time to panic. We can be first turn to God's word, then to the ones that we love and who are dependent upon us, then we can look at the situation around us. We are not reactionary. The problem we have here with what Jacob does is that Jacob leaves poorly. Go down to verse 20. Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. Okay. Jacob did not tell Laban. Now, first of all, Rachel stole the idols. That's not Jacob's fault. He didn't know about that. We'll see later that he didn't know about that. There's no indication that Jacob knew he, she was going to do that or he told her to do that or anything. Rachel stole them because their possession makes Jacob the head of the household. He is now the head of the household. It also reveals a problem with Rachel's heart. She has a problem, not Jacob. Jacob's issue is that he leaves without telling Laban. He should have gone and said something to him. He should have told him and left the right way. Again, look back at what God told Jacob in verse 3. In verse 3, 
Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. I will be with you. One thing we're going to see through this entire thing is that Jacob fears man more than he fears God. He seems to forget this little promise right here. God is with Jacob. Jacob has nothing to fear, and yet he runs away like a thief. He runs away like he should be afraid of something. This is when the old flesh is winning. The old flesh, the part of us that we're leaving behind, is winning when we fear man more than we fear God. When we're more concerned about what people can do to us as opposed to what God has done for us. Oswald Chambers is quoted with having said, A man who fears God needs fear nothing else. Once we fear God, we have nothing else to fear. Jacob doesn't do anything necessarily wrong, but he fails to live in the full confidence of God. And a lack of confidence, a lack of trust in God is a lack of love in God. Proverbs 3, 5-6 through 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. When we allow fear to rule our decision-making, we are letting the old flesh win. Live in the confidence of the God who is in control. He is in control. This fleeing leads to some other issues. leads to issues with Laban. Right? It leads to a confrontation with Laban. Let's look at verses 22 through 42. And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done, that you have stolen away unknown to me, carried away my daughters like captives, taken with the, taken with the sword? Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs, with timbrel and harp. And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly in so doing. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Then Jacob answered and said to him, it said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I said, Perhaps you would take your daughters away from me by force? With whomever you find your gods, do not let them live. In the presence of your brethren, identify what I have yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, into the two maids' tents, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols, put them in the camel's saddle, and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is with me. And he searched, but did not find the household idols. 
Then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren, that they may judge between us both. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes, your female goats, have not miscarried their young, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock, that which was torn by beasts. I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You acquired it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was in the day the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house twenty years. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. We have a confrontation between Laban and Jacob. They're fighting with each other. Right? Now we see God protect Jacob specifically with his words to Laban. He tells him, don't do anything to Jacob. Don't hurt him. Don't say anything bad or good. Right? And then we see Laban focus on his household idols. He's more concerned with these household idols. Laban has missed the most important part of his time with Jacob. The most important part of his time with Jacob was when he should have been seeing the Lord. He should have been seeing God at work. Instead, he was focused on material wealth. He wanted stuff. He wanted things. And then as things stopped, he stopped loving Jacob. He missed Jacob's greatest treasure. He missed the one thing that Jacob had that Jacob was trying to share with the world, a relationship with God. Jacob has the one true God. Laban never seems to have understood what made Jacob different, what made him special. It wasn't his work with the, with the ewes, it wasn't his work with the goats, it wasn't the thing with the branches. It was a relationship with God. And Laban only cared for flocks, only cared for money. And I think we see this a lot in professing Christians today. People who claim to want to know the Lord, but really all they want is stuff, and all they want is things, and all they want is all the things that God can do for them. They get so caught up in material wealth and worldly success that they've missed the point. They've missed the point. We have forgotten that the true treasure is not in anything God gives us, but it was found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the treasure. Jesus Christ is not a part of our relationship with God. Jesus Christ is everything in our relationship with God. He is all that matters, and that's why people can sit in prison and still say, blessed be the name of the Lord, because they have Christ. That's what matters, and Laban doesn't seem to get that. All he wants is his flocks and his money and his stuff back when he could have had a relationship with God. A sign of the old flesh is when we as Christians no longer bring peace but fighting. Jacob could have responded better, and he probably should have. All these accusations against Laban, as true, as correct, as right as they are, are not what he needs to be saying right now. This is his time to witness to Laban, to share with him God, 
to share with him the treasure of the one living God. And he doesn't. He fails to do that. We serve the king of peace. And when he walks before us, we spread peace wherever we go. Peace follows us. It comes with us. Again, with the understanding that there is a time to fight. We are called to be soldiers. Christ tells us he does not bring us peace. He brings us a sword. There is a time to fight. But there is a peace that naturally surrounds us. This would have been Jacob's time for peace. This is with the understanding that the world is not our friend. And when we enter a room, peace should still abound. Jacob struggles with that. And this confrontation ends with a very sad truth. Truce. Let's look at verses 43 through 55. A truce. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and this flock is my flock. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters, or to their children whom they have borne? Now therefore come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness before, between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, Gather the stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there on the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sadahoth, but Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore its name was called Galid, also Mizpah, because he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. If you afflict, if you afflict my daughters, or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see... God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, Here is this heap, and here is this pillar, which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness. This pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their father judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning Laban rose, kissed his sons and daughters, and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. And this is how the two end their 21-year relationship together. 21-year relationship with a monument built to suspicion and fear. You don't cross this line. Almost like an old bad sitcom. I'm going to draw a line down the middle of this room. You stay on your side, I'll stay on my side. Right? And what we see is that Laban describes God as a judge and an executioner. You come over here and God's going to punish you. You come over here and God's going to be the judge between me and you. Should either of them cross this boundary, God will judge and God will measure out a punishment. But they are failing to see the other side of God. They fail to see that God is also a loving Father who is gracious and merciful. This is a sign of the old flesh when we fail to see both sides of God. In this instance, Jacob and Laban only see a God who is a vengeful judge, who's angry and mad and out to get them. Our culture, on our side of things, tends to see God only as a merciful father 
who only does what you ask him to do, only loves and will forgive you no matter what. Right? Our culture tends to mistake God as only a father. Laban and Jacob only see him as a judge. He's both. He is both. The loving father who is not going to forgive you unless you go through Jesus Christ, his son. The new flesh understands that God is a merciful father and a vengeful judge. He is both. God will judge sin. He will judge sin, but he will forgive anyone who comes to his son, Jesus Christ. He is both. So we come to the second part of our story today. That is how Jacob and Laban end. A very frustrating and sad way to end a 21-year relationship with each other. And there's no indication that they ever see each other or speak to each other ever again. Now Jacob prepares to meet Esau. And if you thought things with Laban were tense, <laughs> you have forgotten his brother Esau. Last time they had seen each other, Esau was set to kill Jacob. Jacob's life was in danger. Now, everything we go through first has to start with the context of verses 1 and 2. It has to start with verses 1 and 2. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Okay? So right away, Jacob sees God with him to a point where there are two camps. There's Jacob's camp, and there's God's camp. That's what Manahainam means, dual camp. Camp for Jacob and camp for God. God is literally with Jacob. It's important to notice that because what Jacob chooses to do, and how we judge that is how we judge this thing right here, okay? This is kind of weird because we can't be too hard on Jacob. This is an incredibly difficult time. This is an incredibly difficult situation. His new self, the man that he is now, has to go back and fix fences, mend bridges, right, that his old self broke. He has to go back and fix that. He's never done that before. You've got to give Jacob a lot of grace because this is very difficult. As someone who myself, I have had to do that. Right? I became a Christian a little later in life. And I had things that I had done in my old life thrown back in my face. It's humbling. It's difficult. It takes a lot to rise above that. It's a humbling experience, experience, but it builds our witness for God. It's the right thing to do. It's the good thing to do to show the world that we are different. So we have to show Jacob some grace with how he does that. We also have to understand that God is with him fully and completely and totally, literally in this sense. Right? Literally in this sense. In fact, this is a problem many of us struggle with. Many of us indwelt with the Holy Spirit. God isn't in a camp next door to us. He's literally in our hearts, living with us, driving us. And we still struggle with this. We are given even stronger promises than God is with us. We are given Romans 8.28, Romans 8.31, Romans 8.38. I like the book of Romans. I especially like the book of Romans chapter 8. Right? 
8.28. God's working all things out for those who are called according to his, right? who are called according to his love. Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.38. Nothing can separate us from his love. We are given those promises. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit and still we can struggle to trust God in our decisions and with much minor things than a brother who seeks to kill you. So we see the old self and the new self at war with Jacob. This is going to continue with Jacob. Let's look at verses 3 through 8. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I might find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. So a blend here. It's the new self that Jacob sends messengers. That's a good thing. He's trying to reach out to his brother, tell him that he's coming. He doesn't just want to show up on his doorstep. Hey, I'm here now. Right? None of us like unexpected guests. That's terrifying. It's the new self when he sends gifts. Hey, I still love you, brother. I want to make peace. That's good. It's good. It's the new self that he is seeking this peace, that he's trying to mend this fence. He's trying to rebuild this relationship. That's a good thing. But you also see the old self at work here. He tends to grovel to my Lord Esau. Why is he calling Esau Lord? He has one Lord, Lord of Lords. King of kings. There's no need to grovel there. It's also not great that he divides his company into two parts. If they get wiped out, we can run away, right? If they get, we can run away still. Eh, that's not great. Also not great if he's dividing his family up into favorites and not favorites. Those are not good things to do. The key is verse 7. Verse 7. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. When we fear God, we have nothing else to fear. And right now, Jacob is afraid of Esau. He is scared. God's perfect love casts out fear. Fear and love cannot coexist. They do not and they cannot coexist. And his fear culminates in a prayer to God. All right, let's start. We're going to go through this piece by piece. Verse 9a, the first part. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me. All right, so he starts, right, starts with speaking of the covenant. He starts, God has blessed Jacob through Abraham, reminding of where he's come from, through Abraham and through Isaac. And then he goes into God's commands, the second part, right? You have said to me, this is what the Lord has said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. God has commanded Jacob to come back home. This wasn't Jacob's idea. This was God's idea. That's why Jacob is here. That's why he's doing this. Right? 
Then he goes into verse 10. He talks about God's past provision, the things that he's done from the past. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant, for I cross over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. He started with nothing. He had nothing but his walking stick. And now he's got two huge companies of stuff and people, and he's in charge of all of them, all because of God's will that he's given him. God has taken care of Jacob for his entire life. It comes to God's purpose. Verse 11, Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother of my children. God's eternal purpose goes through Jacob and through Jacob's children. God's eternal purpose is Jesus Christ. God's eternal purpose goes through Jesus Christ. And finally, he speaks of God's promises. Verse 12, For you simply treat you well, and make your descendants as the, sea, as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered and multiplied. And he claims the promises God has made to Jacob. So if we see here what all Jacob says, he recognizes who God is. He recognizes what God has told him. He recognizes God's past provision of what he's done in his life. He recognizes what God is trying to do, and he recognizes God's promises for his life. We can say the same thing, or we should be able to. We should be able to. God has blessed us through his son, Jesus Christ. That's who he is. He's commanded us to obedience of his word and to spread his word. That's what he wants. He's taken care of us our entire lives. Not a single one of us should be able to say different. And God's eternal purpose is still through his son, Jesus Christ, that all would be called to him. And God has promised us a place in heaven. That's where we're headed. That's the final outcome of all of this. Jacob, just like us, has all the knowledge he needs. All the knowledge he needs. We see that this is not a head issue. This is not a lack of information getting to him. He gets it. He knows who God is. He understands all of this. He is truly loving the Lord with all of his mind. that knowledge has failed to make it to his heart. He's struggling to love the Lord with all of his heart. Jacob, like most of us, struggles to trust in the Lord. To trust him. He gets it. But he's not living like it. It's a heart issue. The heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. You end up saying it to yourself all the time. It's a problem of the heart. We have all the knowledge. It's amazing that Jacob is able to say all this, know all this. We can say it because we have the Bible. And we can go to that and turn to that. How blessed are we that we have the Bible and we live in a country that lets us have the Bible. That's amazing. We can say all of this, but it doesn't get to our hearts. It doesn't work out of our hearts. And we struggle to trust the Lord. And so Jacob's fear because he's failing to trust the Lord, is now driving his actions. It's now driving his actions. Let's look at verses 13 through 23. 
So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass over before me, put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, They are your servant Jacob's, and it is a present sent to my lord Esau. And behold, he also is behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the droves, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he sees him with the present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on and over before him, and he himself lodged that night in the camp. He's scared, and he's sending all of this stuff to Esau, not because he loves him, not because he's seeking peace, because he is scared, and he's trying to buy Esau's affection. If I do this, he'll stop being mad at me. If I can give him enough stuff, that'll fix the problem. That'll fix the problem. What we see is that the old flesh is ruled by fear. The old flesh is ruled by fear. When we find ourselves afraid of anything that is not the Lord, we need to refocus our attention. Refocus our attention on God. He does one other thing in fear. He does one other thing. Verse 22 and he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. And I, it's a very small and a minor moment, but I want us to understand how dangerous this is. He puts his family, his wives and his sons and all of his kids, in danger by crossing a river at night. That's a silly thing to do. It's a dangerous thing to do. They all could have drowned. This is how afraid he is of Esau. This is how afraid he is. And we should see that because we finally get to Jacob at the end of what he is able to do. Jacob alone at the end of his power. Verse 24, the first part. Then Jacob was left alone. Alone. And the implications of what that means. Jacob is lost. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He's scared. He could potentially die tomorrow. For all he knows, Esau, with 400 men, is going to come kill everybody. He is terrified. He doesn't know what to do anymore. He just made a crazy decision to cross this river at night which is something none of us would want to do and none of us would have sought to do ourselves. And he is at the very end. I could imagine, I could imagine him sweating blood at this point. Psalm 130, out of the depths, out of the depths, up to our neck in sin. 
where I don't have any other option. I don't have anything else I can do. I am at my end. I am alone. I am alone. Out of the depths, Psalm 130, out of the depths, I have cried to you, O Lord. Jacob is up to his neck in sin, in fear, in absolute terror. And I think many of us live our lives here. Every day we find ourselves alone. Not knowing what to do. Not knowing where to go. Not knowing where to turn. Lost, scared, and alone. Up to the depths. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. And this... This is even where we find. This is even where we find Christ, at His. Uh, I'm sorry. No. This is where we find God's chosen. God's chosen Jacob, right, at his weakest moment, crying in the dark. God never promised that it would be easy. God never promised, right, that all our problems would go away. But what He did promise is that with us, He'd be there with us. And this is where the Lord comes to Jacob. Verses 22-24. And he rose that night and took his servants, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the fort of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. The Lord comes to Jacob. That man is God. And we have to understand that Jacob didn't do anything for the Lord to come to him. He didn't do anything. There isn't a sacrifice. There isn't a good deed requirement. There isn't a, a minimum checks box he has to make. He doesn't have to go somewhere. He doesn't have to wear something. He doesn't have to clean himself or be in the best state of mind. He just calls on the Lord and the Lord comes to him. The Lord is with him. God doesn't care about any of that other stuff. God just wants you. He just wants you. Like a father. Like a father coming to help his son. Nothing else matters. He's there to help you. He doesn't care what you're wearing or what you look like or where you think you are. He just wants to be there with you and to help you. And Jacob wrestles with the Lord. That's an interesting term, wrestles. It's the only spot in the Bible where that word is used. And every commentator agrees it's a deep and full and complete prayer. A prayer. A prayer so filling that he calls it wrestling. He's fighting with God. He's praying so hard. He bears his heart so deeply so fully, so completely that he's wrestling with God. Wrestling with him one on where. Much more so than that last prayer. Right? That last prayer was, God, I know all this stuff. But now he bears his heart to God. And he gives him everything he has. Everything he has into this prayer. He gives up everything. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, Fully casting all of his burdens onto God. That's wrestling with the Lord. That's what it means to go to him in prayer. Not holding anything back. And we wrestle with him 
fully and completely. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, wrestled with God in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he opened up his heart and said, please, if this cup can be passed from me, please pass it. Under so much strain that blood dripped from his brow, Christ also knew he was going to be brutally murdered the next day. That's what it means to wrestle. That's what it means to pray. I'd imagine Jacob would understand what the Garden of Gethsemane felt like. What it felt like for Jesus to pull himself out there. And I'd imagine some of us, some of us would be better sanctified if we would pray like that as well. If I could open up everything I had to the Lord and give it all to Him, holding nothing back, wrestling with Him fully and completely and saying, God, Thy will be done. Here's everything I have, everything I am, everything I want and need and desire in this world, and I give it to You and I say, Thy will be done. Wrestling with the Lord. And the Lord gives Jacob two things neither of which are what Jacob asked for. <laughs> neither of which are what Jacob asked for. First, he dislocates Jacob's hip. Verse 25. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of its joint as he wrestled with him. It doesn't seem like much of a gift at all, does it? <laughs> You've given me everything, and now I'm going to cripple you. But now there is no way that Jacob can flee Esau. His plan of, they get wiped out, I can run away? Not anymore. You're stuck here. This is what's going to happen now. Immediately what came to my mind when I read this was 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength, God's strength, is made perfect in weakness. Jacob gets weaker so that God can get stronger. You want to see God at work? Humble yourself. Become weaker and let God work. Our physical ailments, our sickness, our disease, the things that we struggle with are there to remind us of our weakness. Purposefully and intentionally to remind us that we do not need a perfect bill of health. What we need is a perfect God. Jacob doesn't need a perfect relationship with his brother because he has a perfect God. Jacob is literally given a new walk, a new way to walk with God, with a hip that no longer works like it should, a new walk, a new way to present himself to the world and show his relationship with God. Something that every one of us should have as well. Second, an all-knowing God asks a question. And when an all-knowing God asks a question, we should realize it's for our benefit. Let's look at verse 27. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. When God asks a question, it's for our benefit. God holds up a mirror to Jacob, and he asks him, who are you? 
who are you in this mirror? And we should realize Jacob's been asked this question before. And the last time he was asked this question, he lied. He told his father Isaac, I'm Esau. He lied about who he was. Here he tells God the truth. God holds up a mirror to Jacob and shows him his sin and shows him who he is and shows him what he is. He holds him a mirror and reflects his sin back at him. And this is where he gets his second gift. Jacob is given a new name. We're going to finish the part. 28 through 32. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. He said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For, he, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. God's second gift to Jacob, a new name. Names have meaning, especially in the Old Testament, especially in the Bible. A new name. It's a new beginning, a new chance, a new way to start. Jacob has spent his entire life wrestling. Wrestling. He wrestled with Esau. He wrestled with Isaac. He wrestled with his mother. He wrestled with Laban. He wrestled with Laban's sons. He wrestled with his wives. He wrestled with his kids. And ultimately, all of this wrestling is him wrestling against God. Wrestling against God. Jacob's Distrust of God is revealed in that mirror. All you are is a wrestler. Stop wrestling. Stop wrestling. And Jacob must finally yield. Finally yield to God. And when he yields this final battle, he finally wins the war. He stops fighting against God. And he has won the war. Jacob is now Israel. Israel. A new name is a new beginning. He no longer needs to wrestle. He has prevailed. Jacob, Israel, can now see his new walk. He can now see his new name. He can now see his renewed relationship with God. And he is now ready to face his oldest enemy yet his brother, the one who wanted to kill him. If you find yourself still struggling with the Lord, still wrestling with God, still refusing to give him him everything, if the outcomes he has given you in your life are not what you expected, then I encourage you to finally yield. Trust in the Lord. Accept his good, perfect, and pleasing will. Take off the old flesh of doubt and fear and put on the new flesh of joy and peace. Let's go to the Lord and pray.